Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. As we've kind of moved through this year, uh, this last year, I don't know about y'all, but it's kind of a little heavy, isn't it? Yeah. We're kind of tired of it, aren't we? And we thought 2021, it was all going to go away. Did it? Anybody feeling a little relief in 2021? Not a lot of hands out there. I'm right there with you. It's crazy. But, you know, we're just kind of going through these things. And i got to be honest. I mean, 2020 was, was not really a great year. And 2021 is not suiting up to be kind of like my aha thing. Because in August, my youngest daughter is going to move out of our house. And Kim and I are going to be empty nesters. And I'm telling you right now, I don't like that not happy about it my oldest daughter's up in new york she's thriving doing great but man i'm like i'm thinking about that going man i don't really want to do that and 20, 2020 was a tough year for me it's probably the worst year i've had with my health i was in really good shape and all of a sudden all these things start happening and they had nothing to do with covid um i'm wearing a hearing aid right now what's that all about um i wear readers like like all the time. I'm not talking about just like when I read, like all the time now. Everything is just blurry to me. I had um, a pent- uh, tempo pantanic mastectomy on my right ear. Uh, I had a mini stroke in 2020. It was like not really great. And I'm just telling you, I don't like it. And I thought there's no way at 51 I would have these problems. And then I heard myself say, I'm 51. I don't like that either. <laughs> this is nuts. My sister's having a bunch of health problems, like major things going on, and, and that's really tough. And, and my, one of my closest, dearest friends is just having one health problem after another health problem. And I'm just telling you, I don't like it. But here's what I know. If I sit down and talk with each of you, you could share very similar stories. There's things going on in your life, going on in your family's life, in your extended family's life, that are tough, and, and it's not fun. And it's causing a lot of anxiety, it's causing a lot of anger, it's causing a lot of frustration. And we see this bowling out in all aspects of our life. Everywhere we look, we see this kind of frustration and, and anger and, and just fear. And i got to be honest, looking at it, I don't know if we as believers in Christ are doing any better than the rest of the world. I don't, I don't know if we're handling all the things that are going on any better than the rest of the world. And I wonder why that is. I wonder why we don't have a peace about us, we don't have a joy about us that, that we've been given as a believer in Him. And I'm wondering, could God be trying to get our attention? I think He is. I think there's something that we're missing in our walk with him that's foundational that that we're not taking advantage of and that's what i want to try and find today because i think it's so important that we understand this and that we truly start living in it and to do that i want to show you a photo no no it's a portrait of an image of uh a uh i'm gonna have a hard time his name is william the William Van Holland. I can't even say the last part of it. Uh, it's, it's, a pain that, but it's a pain I've come to love. I have it in my office, and I enjoy it a lot. And I love it because it, it captures a story in Genesis 
where um, these three heavenly uh, beings come to Abraham and he recognizes them. And in the story, when you read it, it's like Abraham is, is actually talking to God in this one, that he's interacting with God. He calls all of them Lord. He fixes a meal for them. And then at the end of their time together, he uh, gets told by them that his wife, who's 90 years old, Sarah, will have a child the next year. And so I really love it because it's come to mean a lot to me, and I've, I've taken a lot from it. But what I really find is that um, C.S. Lewis is a writer and a theologian that, that I've come to like. And whenever he talks about the Trinity, this is the picture that I see. C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity, talking about the Trinity. God is a, a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will, not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The union between the Father and the Son is such a living, concrete thing that this union itself is also a person. It is as if a sort of communal personality came into existence. Now, I've got to be honest. Lewis is an incredible writer, but his language can be hard to understand what he's saying, but I've got to give him a break. Because what he's trying to capture here is so complex and so, so beautiful that words aren't really adequate. They're not really adequate for what he's trying to tell us, what he's trying to say, because in this he's saying that this love between the Father and the Son, this respect between the Father and the Son, this humbling and submitting to the Father and the Son is so powerful, it's so real, that in it, a new spirit is created that is just as real as the Father and the Son. And they call this God's Spirit or the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a second. That's mind-blowing. That this love between God and Jesus is so powerful that it can create a whole new being. It's so real that it can create a whole new being. You see why he can't capture that with mere words? And this new being, this new spirit, loves the Father and the Son the same way the Son and the Father love each other. It submits to the Father and Son the same way, and they submit to it. It's mind-blowing. But it's captured for us. We see this in Scripture. John lets us see into this. It happens the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Um, they're in the upper room. They've done all the things that they've done. And Jesus is in this conversation with God, speaking to his heavenly Father. And the apostles are there, and they're listening. They're observing what's going on, and John captures it. We have this <clears throat> written for us over in John 17. Starting with verse 1, it says this. After saying all these things, Jesus looked to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. Continues on saying, He gave, he, he gave eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. 
I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring into glory we and bring into bring into the glory we shared before time began. Do you see the dance? Do you see all three there? Jesus starts out in first person. Then all of a sudden he goes to this third person thing. And then he goes back into first person. And in both those things, he says, God, I have done all that you've done because you already set it in motion. I just feel fulfilling the plan you gave me. And I've saved those that you have already saved. There's this word that keeps coming up over and over again in this time that we throw around in, in Christian circles and in Christian ideas, and it's called glory or glorify. And, and what does that really even mean? Tim Keller is a, is a preacher and a, or a writer and a theologian, and uh, I love how he defines this word glory for us. It, it has two parts to it. That is beauty and duty. That, that this word glorifies is actually made up of two things, beauty and duty. He defines beauty as having your imagination captured by, finding gorgeous, adoring, praising, and doting over you are not glorifying something unless you find it beautiful for it is for what it is unto itself. Sunset. Beautiful piece of art. When we look at it, we're just amazed. We fall in love with it, and it can do nothing for us other than just bring joy to us. That's the kind of beauty the glory is talking about. But then there's another part to it that is so vital, and that's the duty part of it. And that is, he defines it as this, to serve someone unconditionally, expecting nothing in return. To glorify someone, we serve them just because of who they are. Guys, there's very few things in this life that we glorify because of the duty part of it. Almost everything we do, we have an ulterior motive, to get something. If I do this, then I'll get that. Even in our relationship with our children, if you have kids, all the stuff that you do for them, there is an unset expectation that they will love you back for doing these things. And when they don't, just wait until your kids are 25 and they don't call you. You will feel at that moment, I deserve this. Look what I did. This word glory is so rare. The only way I can describe it is what if all of a sudden you found somebody that you became enamored with and you thought they are the most incredible person in the world. And you looked far from afar and you loved everything that they did and, and who they were. And you just thought they were incredible. And you thought, you know what, I'll do anything for this person. I'll do anything to help them accomplish their dreams, accomplish the things that they want to do. And I don't even care if they know that I do it. I don't even care if they know who I am. I care for them that much. And then, what if you found out that they felt the same way about you as you felt about them? How incredible would that be? To have, that, to have somebody out there that, that feels the same way, that thinks about you the same way, that wants the same, that wants to serve you in the same way. 
Guys, if you can imagine that, you're imagining heaven. Because that's what's happening in heaven. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit love each other that much, adore each other that much, serve each other that much, submit to one another that much, that in that moment, the love that's created, the joy that's created, that the peace that's created, the security that's created, that is heaven. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says the word glory. I've glorified you. You've glorified me. I've done everything you wanted me to do, not because I get anything else, because I just love you. Guys, God is infinitely happy. Not because he receives glory, but because he seeks glory for others. Let me say that again. God is infinitely happy, not because he receives glory, but because he seeks glory for others. And you may be saying, Sean, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. I was kind of going with you there. This whole Trinity thing, it's kind of hard to follow, but I was kind of following you in there. But this part, I mean, I can, I can pull scriptures out right now that says we're to glorify God. We're to serve God. So how can you tell me that God doesn't want the glory? Because God knows this. He knows how he created this place. And he knows if happiness and joy is truly found in glorifying others, that's what he wants for us. He wants us to place our thoughts, our dreams, our hopes, our beauty, our service into something greater than us so that we can find what he has. We can find his joy. We can find his happiness. We can find his peace. That's why he's asking it for us, because that's what he does. He doesn't seek his own glory. He seeks glory for others. When we step into this divine dance that Lewis talks about, of the Trinity, we find what we were made for. Guys, we weren't made to just believe in God. We weren't made to even just find wisdom in what God says so that we can have some things to, to help our lives out. We weren't made to have God as a, as a lifeline whenever things get hard, that we can just pray up a prayer and say, hey, God, please help me out with this. We were made, we were made to have the joy of God. We were made to have the happiness of God. We were made to have the fulfillment of God. And why wouldn't we all want this? Why aren't we all experiencing this? Why isn't this the foundational thing of our life that we get up every morning thinking, oh my goodness, I get to glorify God? So if the truth be known, it's the most scariest thing you'll ever do. Everything in us says the world should revolve around us. It should revolve around me. I'm a control freak. I have lived my life trying to make things orbit around me, trying to make everything circle around me, trying to make things work. It's brought me fear. It's brought me anxiety. It's brought me worry. 
but I have tried to hold on to it. But what I'm finding is that illusion that the world can revolve around me is slipping away from me. And I'm finding that happiness and peace and joy is happening when I start looking to circle my life around something else. How do I do this? How do I get into this dance that Lewis talks about? It's simple. There's only one way. It's Jesus. Jesus. He's it. He is the only way. Let's go back to the image that I've fallen in love with. I love this because in this, you see this beautiful banquet. You see these heavenly visitors enjoying themselves, enjoying their time, totally at peace. And then you see Abraham over him, wanting so badly to be at the table, but knowing that is not a place he's ready to be at yet. It will take 490 years before Abraham and before we can take our seat at the table. And it happens because Jesus chooses to come to earth to glorify us. Why does he give us a seat at the table? Why does he make it a way that we can engage in this divine dance that's going on? Guys, there's no reason because he got nothing out of it. There's nothing he gets out of going to the cross. There's nothing that he gets out of leaving his place. He does it for one reason and one reason alone. He finds us beautiful and he wants to serve us completely. That's it. He wants to glorify us for one reason and one reason alone. He loves us. And in that moment, in that moment on the cross, Jesus calls out to him and says, let's dance. Let's dance. It's only when we move from ourselves, <clears throat> move out from ourselves and start orbiting your life around him like he orbits his life around you, that you find true joy. Because this is it, and this is why I love this image, because it reminds me every day, it sets in my office, this image of these three heavenly beings and Abraham sitting there, that I have a place at the table now. That's where I belong. That's where true happiness is. Not in all these other things. It's at the table. And Jesus made it for us. It's foundational to our faith. It's the gift that he's given. This is how we can know God, to take our seat at the table. Because I want to give you an illustration right here, and don't write letters and things that I'm thinking that the people that I'm talking about are the Trinity, because they're not, but it gives an illustration. So think about you're in a hotel, and you wake up one morning, the morning and you're going to have, have breakfast. And when you go to the elevator, you're there by yourself. When you get in the elevator, there's Tiger Woods. And you go like, oh my gosh, it's Tiger Woods. And so you kind of push the button in the lobby and you're trying to not kind of look at him or take a picture or anything like that. But all of a sudden, he says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. So have you not sleep? Yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm Tiger Woods. Uh, oh yeah, I, I know who you are. And you have this conversation going down the lobby. And he, when he gets to the bottom floor, he says, hey, I've really enjoyed getting to talk with you. I'm about to meet some friends 
have breakfast, would you come and join us? You know, I, I, I guess. I, okay. So you follow him into the restaurant, and lo and behold, who are his two friends? There's Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer. And they go, they introduce themselves to him, they, they hug with, I mean, Tiger, and, they, and then all of a sudden, Tiger says, hey, I want you to meet uh, this person. They introduce you to him, and they invite you to sit down. And as soon as you sit down, the conversation starts flowing. And Tiger looks over to Arnold and says, Arnold, man, can you tell us about your master's win in 64? I mean, the, the crowds, we'd never seen anything like that before. They, they just loved what you were doing. They loved the way you interacted with them. They loved you brought so many people into the game. And Arnold just smiles. He says, man, you, you don't want to hear that story. Jack is sitting here. Jack has 18 major wins. Jack, what's your favorite win? Of all the wins, majors that you had, what's your favorite one? And Jack just smiles and goes, guys, I got 18 wins, but I'll tell you right now, I never won one of those wins on a broken leg. Tiger, what was it like in 08 when you were playing the U.S. Open and you had a broken leg and you won that with a broken leg? What was that like? And it goes on and on, and you sit there and witness, and no story can come out. You're sitting there going, yeah, I want to hear that story. Yeah, I want to hear that story. And no story can come out because the other one is deferring to the other one, saying, I want to know that because that's more important. That's more incredible. And you're just, in, you're just incredible. And then all of a sudden, Arnold looks over at you and says, hey, tell us about your game. Tell us about your majors. And you're like, oh, man. The gig's up. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be at this table. I mean, I, this was fun and everything, but man, I'm about to tell these guys. And so you look over and say, Mr. Palmer, I don't have any major wins. Matter of fact, I'm not even a golfer. I don't own a set of clubs. And then Arnold looks at you and says, oh, but you have. I've witnessed every one of your major wins. I've loved following your story. I was at every tournament that you played. We love the way you play the game. You just don't know it because they haven't happened yet. But we've seen them, and they're incredible. And so here's what we're going to do. Tiger's going to give you his, his touring card. It's going to let you play on any course you want to in the world. It'll let you play in any tournament you want to in the world. And I don't want you to worry about a thing. I'm going to cover all your expenses. And tomorrow morning, you're going to go to the golf course. And Jack has decided to be your coach. He, he wants to be your coach. And he's going to help teach you the game. He's going to help teach you so you can learn the game like we've played. He's going to be there through every practice round, through every game round. Because he believes in you. Look at me. We believe in you. We are your biggest fans. That's what the dance is like. That's what having a seat at the table is like. To have someone believe in you, not for what you've done, but for who you are. To serve you, not because you can give them anything. Because they love you and adore you. That's what's happening 
at the table. That's what we get to be a part of because Jesus has given us that. I love he wants us to be at the table so badly. Listen to how he finishes up this talk with God at the end of John 17, verse 24. He says this, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Where is he? He's at the table. He's in this dance with the Father and the Son. He wants us there. Then they can see the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. We're being invited into this divine dance that has been going on before the world began, and it will go on throughout eternity because that is heaven, and we get to experience it here on earth. C.S. Lewis says this to wrap it up. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three personal life is being played out in each one of us. Or put it in, a, in, in other words, another way around, each one of us has to get into the pattern, take their place in that dance. There is no other way to find the happiness for which we are made. So I've got to ask you a question. How many of you are dancing? Or how many of you are just believing? How many of us are dancing? Are we just looking to God as a safety line? Because we have an opportunity to face all the stress, all the anxiety, all the uncertainty with joy and with happiness that is true, that is abundant, that is life-giving if we jump into the dance and we start circling our life around God instead of circling our life around us. But we have to remember this each and every day. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.